Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Welcome to Upholding Matters. I'm David Paul. If you'll remember last week, I was all incensed almost about the prospect of the upcoming Helsinki summit and the fact that no one could stop Donald Trump from meeting alone with Putin. They were supposed to meet for an hour. It was extended, I heard, hour and a half. And by the time it actually took place, which we still don't know what they said, it wound up being over two hours. So there's much more to learn on that. They're trying to, uh, some senators are trying to get the note taker to come and testify, hoping that she has a record and the Russians certainly have a record. And there were things said that, again, Donald Trump doesn't bother to inform his uh, Pentagon or the Secretary of Defense or any of the other people that need to know what the heck he said to Putin. You know, we're, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a two guys hit it off and straighten some stuff out kind of a moment. I'm not sure if Trump has any idea who Putin is other than to think that they're peers on some level, both magnificent autocrats who should run everything by themselves because they know what's best. But I have to tell you, as crazy as it made me, you know, I, you sit there and that's what the world unraveling dissociative disorder does to you. You sit there and you realize, wait, I shouldn't get so mad about this. This is just like a billion other things, something that I can do nothing about. So... Why am I getting so mad? You know, that's the kind of stuff that goes through my mind. But, of course, there is a good reason. There's a very good reason. This is some of the most consequential stuff that is going to happen to our world. I mean, we have to come back. And I heard somebody say something about this is the worst mess America has ever been in. And... The guy pointed out, well, there was the Civil War, there was the Civil Rights Movement, there was the whole starting of the country. Uh, We've gotten through tougher times, I, I do agree, but the chance for damage and the damage already done is what we're going to talk about this week. We have a situation where, as crazy as I was, again... I have to realize that I I did not foresee the scope of the harm 
And here I can catch a clarification right now. The person was not a note taker. She was an interpreter who's going to have to come before Congress and see if anybody can recollect actually what went on in this meeting. But it's very, very irregular. And as promised, much worse than I imagined. So let's get straight away into the Helsinki humiliation. I woke up today ready to get back into a discussion, finish up the podcast, uh, the Helsinki humiliation and the blowback. And I had a surprise or a theory, a surprise theory, to explain what the uh, Trump hold might be, what Putin might have on him. And it's not, you, you know, startling or it's not something that many people don't say. But it's what I think makes the most sense. And I wanted to get that in somehow and really I was just going to know that something else would come and it would get rolled into the other stuff and go to a homeless meeting it was uh, the homeless city group that is studying homelessness in addition to all the other commissions we have working on this So I like to keep abreast of it, but part of the um, commission was about feeding the homeless and well-intending church groups taking food out that could be spoiled or creates a mess and further commitment by the city to clean up spaces. So it's certainly something you don't want to say, oh, Homeless people shouldn't just get food. But I come at it from a practical point of view, mostly. I understand the city's position, and they need to take care of people by not letting them get poisoned out in the desert. So, but the idea I had, I I rehashed it, and I framed it in the old days, because, my goodness, it's been almost, well, I won't say decades, but... It was my own personal experience of a place that you could get a sandwich, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and some milk and coffee, I guess. In those days, I didn't drink it, so I didn't pay attention. But remembering back, I can see the pots. So that's a uh, pretty safe way. There are peanut allergies and gluten and bread and all this and that. But there's a few things in life, you know, that make it suck more than anything other than, well, being hungry. No one should be hungry. And if it's temporary and you know dinner's coming, that only helps a little. Not knowing where you're going to eat next, that's, that's a real burden on the psyche. And I went through that when I was young. And it wasn't so much that I was homeless. I ran away from home. So I just didn't want to go back to a home that I had or didn't have because none of it was mine. I was 16 years old. You don't have a lot of stuff at 16. So back then, 
in that time and place, the concept is sound, it's sound as it is today. Have a place where people, just to get that grumble out of their stomach, can get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a carton of milk. And then we'll work on the bigger things, but like getting a place to sleep. But let's get the bellies filled and if it's non-perishable and it's a successful model used in other cities and other times, my goodness, it's not a bad idea to set up a peanut butter and jelly cart. These people will not be hungry. That does make you act a little bit goofy sometimes. And here we're into the phase of rather than looking goofy or acting goofy, looking goofy. You know, uh, there's a lot of goofy looking things that are going on and they're very painful. And in a metaphorical way, I look hunger for the old days of just good old incompetent government. Because we're in a very, very strange place in this country. The fallout from the summit, it's... Helsinki was a moment in American history that will not be forgotten. It's a humiliating moment when you can watch the President of the United States be suborned to a thug he had no reason to go and see. It's there was no point, and then we're still dealing with the fallout. Of, you know, I, I last week I was as uh, unnerved as, as as it could be, thinking that hearing that he's going to meet Putin alone, and saying, "Is there no one that can stop that? Does is is there anyone that knows that needs to be stopped?" I heard a newscaster today compare it to like leaving a child with matches and fireworks you don't leave somebody in a situation where they're likely to blow something up and so just there's Russian military intercepts coming out that are talking about announcing new uh, alignments that were agreed to by uh, Trump and Putin privately, and who knows? There's no record, well, except for the Russian record, and any of that can be turned against the president. That I mean, these are really simple things that. I, well, and I, I would say this: if he cannot figure them out, I'm sure someone advised him about them. Uh, even question the entire need to do that. Now, I'm torn between getting right into this super scoop of reason that it's really the only way for me to be able to let my whatever this is, the what, the world unraveling dissociative disorder pain that that I feel, it's, there's nothing like it. it. It never ends. And so as all those other things are going on and I'm looking for them today, 
we have this man, Dan Coates, a distinguished American. He's held, he's been in the Senate twice. He's been a U.S. ambassador to Germany. And now he serves as the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence. This is different than like John Bolton now, who replaced H.R. Uh, McMaster, and then before them, General uh, went to jail, lock her up. But, but so this is a very important job. He coordinates all the other intelligence and brings it to the White House, probably to John Bolton, and then Bolton relays this. I, you know, I can't pretend to know exactly how they do it, but there is a how they're supposed to do it and how it actually gets done. And they blow it off by saying, oh, every president has their preferences and does it differently. And Donald Trump doesn't even read them. He takes things on airplanes and there's suspicion that that he doesn't even look at them because he knows what he's doing. He's a very stable genius who is going to go over and poke the bear and make all sorts of promises that we don't even understand or it leads us you know it's very bad to be led to a suspicion over anyone that you know you you rely on I mean let's face it our president has to be somebody we rely on so to have them under suspicion of not looking out for our interests it's 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 very very painful okay so here we are today dan coates is on live tv uh, cable in, interviewed by andrea mitchell great correspondent so right in the middle of that he said a few things that were explanations as to why he corrected the president and very diplomatically, you know, you could tell he was an ambassador by his way to phrase things in ways that answer and yet don't incite. And anyone that's seen it replayed knows that in the middle of this interview, Andrea Mitchell was passed a note from her producer and then she told Dan Coates, who's sitting there with her on the stage being interviewed live in front of people and a whole international audience watching at home, that Donald Trump had just invited Vladimir Putin to the White House this fall during the elections. They didn't make that point, but during the fall, and that's when the elections are, that's my point. And his response was priceless. He didn't know. Here is the person responsible for gathering the most sensitive intelligence that faces our country, that the president needs to set policy and act on, doesn't even know that they're inviting this Putin back after they've tried so hard the last few days to get past this Helsinki nightmare, the Helsinki humiliation, to get past it, to get people not thinking about it, to you know, start answering some questions on their part about what the heck did Trump say to Putin in over two hours of private conversations. We, we are the people 
And that guy works for us as the chief executive. He doesn't get to do what he wants only. And that's what's so bothering to me. The way that especially no one stands up to him, the Republicans, because it's politically not accurate to do it. It's a kiss of death for their political career, perhaps. And they won't give that up to save our country. again explain that there is no joy in even appearing to debase or talk poorly about the office of the presidency. My presidents are George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt to a large degree. I mean, this guy was just all balls to the wall to prove something, an inferiority of the past drove him to be that guy. And that's much like Washington and I'm sure quite a bit of Lincoln. And of course, Donald Trump turned himself into who he wanted to be. Now, my personal opinion is that he wanted a TV show. I don't think he ever thought he could win the presidency. And there was a look on his face that night he did win that was totally astonishing. But, so, he's playing it. Uh, Next time, next week, I want to read letters. I wrote a letter to the editor, a quick quip, and uh, there's another woman who wrote a letter that's very brave. And I want to start reading some of these things to bring a little wider context into what it is people are trying to do when they're sounding an alarm. They're saying, my alarm is going off. My alarm is going off. And that's what Dan Coates, our DNI, said about the intelligence currently. It reminded him of before 9-11. They didn't know what to make of all this chatter. But it was alarming. And Russia continues to hack and do these things against us. And so... Uh, Where do I begin? You know, even the discussion of turning over our diplomats. uh, And last night was the astounding revelation all day that there's absolute proof that the four top people in our government, the FBI, uh, Director Comey, the CIA director, the uh, John Brennan, the um, Mike Rogers, another military analyst, intelligence guy, they all came in. They showed President, in January of 17, they showed President elect Donald Trump 
two weeks before inauguration, this rock-solid, top-secret intelligence we had gathered that tied Vladimir Putin directly to the leading of this operation and uh, having this preference for Trump. So they had all of that. It was true then. And all this time, Donald Trump's been calling us a witch hunt. So, well, why, why, why? Now, it's interesting, and, and some things just gall you and, you know, uh, move you into other ways of thinking. I wasn't thinking about this, but it just it just started, like, log rolling. That's what I was trying to say. They just start rolling, and there's a momentum and a pattern and a whole thing going on there that wasn't before. So that's... My, you know, first offense was when he went, first of all, to the summit with Putin and before he almost single-handedly destroyed our NATO alliance, a 70-year uh, thing that's kept the world secure. Then he goes over to Scotland to chill out before going to the humiliation in Helsinki. And he stays on his own golf course that... The Secret Service gets a bill for its 50,000 pounds, $70,000. So here we have this billionaire in his own golf course can't just absorb the room and board for the Secret Service. That shows you what kind of character he has or that he doesn't have any real money. The other thing... That really bothers me is what's been reported out. He skipped a debate and raised money for the veterans, and no one's seen much of that money. There were a few hundred thousand dollars given away, over six million dollars claimed. There's the uh, inaugural money, which they can't even pretend they spent a third of. It just sits in a fund. And so that's how uh, Trump accumulates money. It's just not really right. Okay, so here it is, the big theory, the big reveal, the big really common knowledge. All these things are in plain sight. Uh, reporters talk about Eric Trump and his discussion with a reporter. He was trying to be chummy and look smart and whatever he was trying to do, babbling. Told this reporter that knew who's a reporter, he, he knew what he was, and um, told him that most of the money, they don't need outside financing to pay for the golf course, because these are money losers. He says, we get all our financing in Russia, all our money in Russia. And so, basically, there's no big reason why they have so much leverage on Trump. I mean, I imagine there could be a PP tape, but it's really just that he's been laundering money for these Russian mobsters, oligarchs, whatever you want to call them, real rich guys that looted their country. That's how they got real rich in a totalitarian state. I mean, you know, to compare our legal system for its weaknesses and flaws to Putin's, to exchange our diplomats or our investigators and have it join it. These things are so preposterous. There's no equivalency. 
There's no equivalency in any of this. Vladimir Putin is still trying to tear down everything America stands for and help us, help us, because he's found the perfect implement to do it. And somebody has got to vote these Republicans out of office so we can get him impeached. Mm-hmm.